Hello everyone, Gary Kelly here and thank you for joining me for another episode of Gary Talks. This week I'm joined by Jorg Müller of Solaris Botanicals, which he co-founded with his wife Karen around 2008 to produce the world's finest organic teas, Solaris Teas. I always enjoy talking to Jorg. I've known him for about five years or so. I think he's very open-minded. He's a real deep thinker and he's a hard-working individual. He always has great insights and says it as it is, which is a quality I really admire in people. I always think you learn from listening to Jorg and from his discussions of thoughts that he has on events taking place around us. He's also really passionate about what he does in his business, which I think is so important. You need to naturally be passionate about what you are doing. In this discussion, Jorg also talks about turning his teas from an idea to a product that now sells globally. He talks about expert tea tastings at Harrods of London, the importance of using tea to create moments in your life, how tea changed history and also led to trade wars, what sustainability really is and what challenges we face, knowing what you want with your business that fits your ethos. He talks about perseverance, taking the leap and scaling. And he also talks about their recent partnership with an Irish supermarket chain and how difficult it has been for Irish businesses in the past when dealing with such large retail chains. There's lots of great insights and opinions and thoughts and ideas in this podcast. I think you'll really enjoy it. Sit back and relax. This is a GK Media Podcast. York, thank you so much for joining us on Gary Talks today. And firstly, before we get in talking about business and all that, let's talk about teeth. Because... <laughs> We couldn't meet up last week because I had a, a crown fixed after biting on a sandwich during a shoot and spittle and broke my crown. And then I had a major job done on my filling where I was felt I was in the middle of misery with James Can or something like that. And yeah, you, you went you went to the butcher. I mean, you went to the dentist as well. It's been a traumatic week for both of us. Yeah, I mean, I, I always thought I've good teeth until about seven months ago when one of them became loose and wobbly, you know, and then I thought, Jesus, you know, why would a teeth become wobbly? So, yeah, no, it was a big shock. And you only realize it after how how much teeth represent who you are, because, you know, once they get removed, you feel, I, I feel 30 years older, you know, yeah. after in terms of how you speak, but also your self-conscious way of looking at yourself. I mean, if at the moment I've two out at the bottom, one at the top, you know, and at night when I take the insert out, it does look like my grandmother, you know, <laughs> so you're um, looking at yourself and going, okay. Yeah, we're already at the age where we are actually getting old now <laughs> <laughs> don't remind me yeah it's not and apparently i think losing a tooth affects the body itself that the body knows a tooth is gone or i don't know is it the nervous system or something but it does have a knock-on effect to the body and it's funny because when my father i think was 12 there was a few bad teeth he had because 
they weren't getting as much calcium back then as we would have nowadays. So they would just normally just take out all the teeth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, crazy. it is. Uh, I, I think, you know, I'm I'm kind of into anthroposophic medicine as well, where they say, which is, which is uh, let's say it's, it's, it's a way of looking at the human body physiologically, but also in terms of you have an ether body, which is your emotional body and then your astral body. So teeth there represent basically is part of your bone and structural system. So teeth are the most outward facing part of that from your skeletal structure. So removing that does affect apparently, you know, even the way you're thinking, you know, because it is deeply embedded, you know, mm -hmm. in your physical structure. So it's quite a big impact although nowadays you know we think i uh, there are methods of bringing your teeth back in obviously in an artificial way in terms of implants but it's not anymore the same physiologically it might be but overall i think it has quite a big impact and you know it's they're called wisdom teeth for yeah, yeah. for a reason you know because in child's development, you can s clearly see it. The point where the teeth start coming in is where the child starts to think independently. So, you know, teeth have to do with, yeah, settling into your own physical body. It's a big impact, you yeah, know. Yeah. And we're here today <laughs> to tell the tale. So you're from Germany, but is it fair to say that you've kind of pretty much spent half your life at this stage in Ireland? Yeah, more than half. I, I left after the Leaving Cert and came to County Wexford, Gorey, when I was 19. So that was an interesting time. So what year did you leave Germany? Because, you know, there was so much change going on in Germany in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, no, I was still there. I was a gymnast when I was younger. So I got a lot of the changes in the late 80s because we often had training camps in East Germany at the time and when the wall came down after that as well and I'm half Czech so you know I also saw that profound change at the time which overall I mean for the German psyche quite impactful because there was so much separation and for it to slowly start growing together, although, you know, some people might say the East always stays separate. But yeah, I, I think it was an interesting time of big changes. I mean, similar to the upheaval almost that we're in now, you know, in terms of emotionally how it feels. But yeah, I came to Ireland in 1997. In Germany, you have to choose to either do a military service or a social service. So I opted for a social service. And, and Does that still exist today? Uh, no, it was abandoned about 10 years ago. But okay. most of my friends would do a social service in a hospital or you could go for an environmental year as well. I, I think overall, very good because... After school, you know, I think personally you should get a breather and, you know, do something completely different mm -hmm. rather than staying in a system where you think you know what you want to do. But, 
Yeah, I opted for a place. Uh, there were only a few going in a foreign country because I wanted a, a very different experience. And the community that I went to was an anthroposophical place where you worked and lived with people with special needs. I mean, I had no background in terms of Steiner or Waldorf, you know, schooling. But getting there with 19, you know, I was responsible for half a year to cook for 15 people and just quite an intense time period where you're A, very involved. And I must say the, the friendships I struck there and on an emotional level to live with people with special needs was very gratifying because you went in not knowing anything about it and the depth of relationship and trust that formed there was formative for me. And I must say, going through that, you know, two years of not having to worry where the money comes from at all because, I mean, we were volunteers there and worked very hard. I, our days were from half six in the morning till half nine when they went to bed, you know. But we created our social outlet around that. Um, but yeah, you, we had the best food. We had a farm garden, weavery, oh, pottery, nice. 90 people, you know. So very different. And in that sense, I started to understand that life can be something different than the normal, you know, from university into a job, into, and I think the depth of relationships there that are not social or normal was very gratifying. I mean, I was looking after a person with autism, heavy autism, and it took, I'd say about six months for him to start to trust me. But that level of trust that went in afterwards and it was almost a silent relationship after that where you emotionally picked up you know the beauty of it where it's not measured in normal sense of a rational friendship or relationship that was quite profound at that stage of my life so yeah i i wouldn't want to miss it and i think i learned a lot in that time period, in terms of what I want to do with my life or where I want to go. It's interesting. A lot of people who want to get into the world of business go straight from school to college, you know, do their degree or their master's and then try and set up their business. And it's kind of just going on the merry-go-round as such. Whereas it's funny that you taking the break, you feel now probably brought more value to you as a person. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, I learned more from as well from gymnastics, running my own business than from schooling or from university in the sense of goal setting, in terms of perseverance, in terms of focus, you know, like sports. And I think sports people can relate to that when you're in the zone and, you know, your surrounding completely disappears and you have that 100% focus where everything else goes mm. is a quite intense feeling. And I think you do need that as well for running your own business where you cut out, you know, the outside 
and you focus on A, your goals, and you won't reach your goals generally when you think you will. You know, yeah. it, it always takes longer than that. But that little step-by-step working towards it and then also the stopping and the celebrating even if you're not there because i remember we had i was working my way up in let's say the overall german youth national team and i was 1988 i was in the top three and then we had a russian guy join as a coach or as a... No, as a gymnast. So okay. in my center, so suddenly, boom, you know, I was like, oh. He this is how do, you do it. <laughs> yeah, this is how you do it. And in the same year then, or the, the year after, we had the reunification. So I went from number three to, I think, 48 in ranking in oh. one year. And... It was disheartening, but I stuck with it, you know, and that's where kind of self-motivation comes in, Mm. you know, because in business you do have that as well, where you get knocked over and you're somewhere where you thought, oh, do I need to start again from scratch, you know, where though I could see that I had it in me, you know, that self-belief is is very important in business as well. So I kind of in the next two and a half years, I worked my way up into the top five again, you know, I mean, partially East German, East German gymnasts then with being reunified, with the reunification did something else or, you know, because beforehand, beforehand their system really made them special being a gymnast. But after the reunification, you know, gymnastics is not like soccer or football where you have a big dream of earning big. So I think, yeah. you know, good few stopped. But yeah, for me, it was staying with it, you know, and I'm a big believer in saying that you can only control what you can control, you know, you don't have any influence over the outside often. And if you think about where you spend a lot of time worrying, it's often areas where you don't have any influence over whatever, you know, Mm. so sticking with what you know you're good at and believing in yourself and but also celebrating those little victories on the way is important. I mean, they keep you going. And in business, the same thing, because you generally your goals always are bigger. And you need to acknowledge those smaller wins along the way to not become discouraged. Yeah. So you grew up in West Germany mm. and then there was the reunification and then you moved to south of Ireland, southeast Ireland. A lot of cultural shocks there, I would say, in a short period of time. Yeah, even more so because the Camp Hill community, you know, yeah. where I was in, I would even, would even say is, is separate from Ireland in itself mm-hmm. because it's a community, you know, which is, I mean, certain amount of interaction with the outside world. But if you are almost self-sufficient, that is its own world, you know, own yeah. small world. But yeah, I, I learned loads of it. And I think even from a spiritual p- 
perspective is where a lot of input came in there in terms of herbal knowledge, in terms of, I mean, my mother is a natural, I would say, homeopath, you know, not educated, coming from the Czech Republic, but we always went foraging when we were small. So I always had that direct interest and the sensory experience mm. with plants. Yeah. And that deepened there at that point. And they asked me then to create a herb garden for 90 people and grow the plants for herbal tea. So it really started there. After that, I left and went traveling for a year. Around Europe, is it? The world, yeah. I mean, wow. I spend I spend a good bit of time in New Zealand. And there I spent the first two or three months learning the, all the edible plants. And then I went off for sometimes two-week hikes, not taking anything, literally just a fishing rod and surviving on the plants that wow. grow around you. So, and did you ever eat the wrong plant? No, I mean obviously <laughs> the the one movie you all know. What's it called? On the road. It's it's a movie about a guy who basically does the same in Alaska, and he dies, you know, by eating. Oh, it's based on a true story, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah it yeah. is a true story. So, no, I I do think that when you forage, you really hundred ten percent need to know. And what I did is I focused on the poisonous plants, first of all, so that I can identify those ones. It's like business, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Focus on the poisonous people out there first. <laughs> yeah, true. But again, very good experience in terms of, I think what I learned there, that in our society, we've externalized nature to an extent where we're not part of a natural rhythm anymore. And, you know, our timelines are planned down to the minute, whereas once you're in nature, you don't know, does it take you two hours or three hours or four hours to catch something or find food yeah. for the day? So you're kind of working more in a rhythm that isn't purely defined as such. Yeah. And that gives you a creativity, but also a freedom. Mm -hmm. And also it empowers you that you're not dependent on all these outside factors. And even now when I give foraging classes, it's beautiful to see, um, including kids, you know, they're very good in using all their senses to connect to their surrounding. And I think this is what we partially lost as well. Completely like I went foraging about a month ago with the family. Uh, and it was my wife's idea because she grew up in North Italy and they did a lot of foraging, especially in the mountains and getting mushrooms and making it with risotto and so on. And we went foraging for berries to make jam. But I got completely lost in it in terms of like, I could have spent the entire day picking berries. I just loved being in nature and I felt so fulfilled by it. And myself, my four-year-old were just loving it, while the nine-year-old and the wife were going cracked. But even when I think back years ago, I used to love fishing. And again, you could be out on a lake for 10 hours and time just goes by and you're not even aware of it. But it's, it's reconnecting with the elements of nature, which is ironic because I, I was thinking about what you were saying. I think we've become so disconnected from nature 
Yet everything that we probably need in life has already been supplied to us by Mother Nature, yet we're distancing ourselves from it more than ever and to supplement it, we're paying for it. Yes, I I, I do think the amount of stress we are under is partially artificially created, you know, and we create it for ourselves, you know, in terms of the fast pace that we are living with. And I mean, think about social media and how much time you spend rather than stepping back as well and making some time in nature. I mean, I see it with our kids, you know, how it balances them. And I do think that trust in nature as well, because as a medical herbalist, you know, like, for example, one young dandelion leaf would have all the vitamin C that you need, you know, simple knowledge like that. And I bet, you know, that a dandelion leaf is closer than any pharmacy, you know. So in terms of integrating small bits and pieces of nature into your daily rhythm, I find very gratifying because it does connect you and you don't feel completely powerless, you know, because often in society we think, oh, you know, for this problem, we need to go every time to a specialist mm. or or this, that, the other. Whereas often in nature, things become very simple. And in simplicity is a beauty that grounds us, but also empowers us. You know, I always find, I, I find, let's say, creativity and new ideas often in nature, yeah. because nature, you know, the beauty of nature is it has been there for millions of years, self-supporting. We always think, you know, we need a technology to solve something. But then if you look into nature, I mean, it's a little wondrous macrocosmos and like talking about farming. I mean, nature has existed in harmony and supporting each other for such a long time that just being in it gives that sense of ease. Mm. How did you get into the world of teas? And I have to say as well, sorry to interrupt, but I have to say, in Ireland, we grow up drinking tea on a daily basis. If you have, get up in the morning, you have your cup of tea, you go to bed at night, you have your cup of tea. If you have a problem, we'll sit down and we'll have a cup of tea. Tea, very, very common. But <laughs> when I taste it, your tea for the first time a few years ago. It tasted nothing like tea that I thought I knew growing up. It tasted. There was a taste from it, first of all. But it was an experience, if that makes sense. People will only know what I'm talking about if they actually go out and drink a Solaris tea. Because if they've drank tea all their life or have six cups of tea every day, it's not the same. It's way better. Thank you. <laughs> That's praise, yeah. I mean, I got into tea, into tea gradually, as I said, always interested in plants. So after my world travels, I actually joined a family in the eastern part of Germany who were harvesting wild herbs for restaurants. They were one of the first at the time to do that. So I spent about, I'd say, seven, eight hours every day for about a year harvesting, wild harvesting, identifying, you know. And that was simple in itself, but 
in understanding the natural habitats of the plants. You know, you could blindfold me and put me somewhere and through the smells, the air pressure, the I would know which plants would grow around there. You know, oh. it almost becomes intuitive because you need to be able to identify a plant from this, let's say, five days old when the first leaf opens up to when it's fully grown. So that rhythm of understanding how plants grow influenced me quite a bit. So after that year, I applied in the UK for a degree in herbal medicine and kind of, I was never that interested in moving to the UK, but I thought, you know, there's nowhere else something like this. So did the jump, arrived there, and it was a fantastic degree course. I think the people that brought it to life, it was their life's passion to get it to that level. So each one of the lecturers were was highly, highly motivated and inspirational. So we kind of studied together with GPs in terms of physiology, anatomy, differential diagnosis, then the herbal part. So the diagnostic skills were the same, but then the treatment part was very different, obviously influenced by Eastern and Western traditional herbal influences that have been built over the last, let's say, 4,000 years. And we, we also learned when we need to use drugs, yeah, when the time has come to use yeah. medicines, obviously to make us safe as a practitioner. So after finishing that course, actually, while studying, I started blending teas illegally in my <laughs> corner of my student abode because at the time you either had medicinal teas that tasted awful or <laughs> you had single ingredient herbal teas, you know, where there was very little experience in it. So I thought I can do better than that. So I blended them and basically brought them and sold them to local coffee shops. And yeah, that worked really well. So I thought, you know, I have a skill in that. And I mean, when blending tea, it's a little bit like cooking or like making perfumes. You have base notes, mid notes and top notes. And the skill is to balance them. Think about cooking. You know, yeah. if one part is too overpowering, if it's too acidic or if it's too sweet, you know, it takes over. So the key is to find the balance of those three. And I could never understand, and that is even the case now, even with premium teas where a lot of flavorings are added, you know, like pina colada or even just, you know, simple things like peppermint flavoring on top of a peppermint. As in herb. like artificial flavoring? Well, they're called natural flavorings, but they're still flavor components that are very powerful. You know, they're the equivalent of, let's say, MSG or flavor enhancers in food, you know, 
And often it comes down to the quality of the raw materials being poor. Yeah. So it's either bitter or astringent. And to mask that, you know, a flavor component would be put over the top of it. So, I mean, I still have a lot of people that come up to me and say, oh, your teas are a little bit weak. And then I ask them what I used to drinking and often they have the fruit teas that are heavily flavored. It's like a punch in the face. And yes, you know, it's an intense experience, but then after that, it falls flat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my guide always of a good tea is once you've drunk it, how do you feel? Yeah, yeah. This yeah, this is the thing. You feel good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It needs to feel clean. If you have a metallic aftertaste or your tummy is a little off, you know, this is often the sign, either poor quality or flavoring being used. So yeah, I mean I approach it in a way of balancing those three levels, but also my big check is how do you feel after and it should feel clean you know you should feel good yeah. after and that's the key obviously we will go into it after in terms of i think a big part of it is the experience in itself of a tea because i think like looking at the history of tea call it black tea green tea it's been with us for thousands of years and probably shaped most of the important um, historical events like the Boston Tea Party. Mm. You know, America wouldn't be America without yeah. tea. Um, <laughs> but also, if you look at China itself and why it shot itself off from the West actually had to do with tea because um, the British basically got very expensive tea from China and eventually they said, we don't want to pay with it. So what did they do? They introduced opium to all of the coastal regions of China. At the peak, I think over 70 million Chinese were addicted to opium and that caused the Chinese-British trade wars. And after that, China shut off from the West, basically till about 60 years ago, you know. Mm. And when I travel in China, it's still, you know, you speak about it and they're, it's still raw, you mm. know, they're saying, you know, it took us that amount of time to be able to open out, to trust again, because this is what we experience. Obviously, that's not the only reason, but it's, it's interesting facts and in Asia, when I was traveling, the tea ceremony in itself is a very interesting, rich, call it ritual. Obviously, it's there in China, but also you know it as a tea ceremony in Japan. And what it is basically is taking those five minutes or longer going back into simplicity. I mean, that is what a tea ceremony is. You're really focused. There is a Japanese word which is ichi e ichi e, which means <laughs> um, basically one meeting, one time. So it basically means this moment will never come again. So make most out of it. So focusing on very simple 
movements of what you're doing, but also what you're experiencing is very powerful. And that is used in the tea ceremony where it's stripped back to literally take the ego out, drop back into your physical body, experience it, yeah, and literally focus on the power of the moment. Because you encourage people who drink your tea to do that, like take 10 minutes out in your day and just sit back, relax, or stand up, walk around, whatever. But you take that moment in your day to just be present and enjoy the tea, the flavors, the feelings from it, the experience, and so on. Not to just guzzle it down with four packets of biscuits and <laughs> you know, uh, the, the way we've traditionally done it for years. Yes, I mean, we, we almost see ourselves partially to support that movement of well-being and awareness. I mean, our let's say our goal is to create a conscious experience um, with it. And what we've done, and you can find it on our website, is created a sensory tea experience where we fuse the Asian tea elements with the we with the Western sensory experience elements. Because obviously in Asia, it's part of the culture, taking that moment out, stripping back to simplicity, whereas in the West, we're not used to that. So mm -hmm. we are using your senses to focus in on that, specifically smell. I mean, smell mm -hmm. is so powerful. You know, you can trigger memories within a split seconds that lie 20 years ago and it's like you've experienced it yesterday so you with tea with a good tea you can basically go into that powerful sensory experience and you know you can embed positive goals or emotions and relate it to that smell and almost embed it in your subconscious yeah so that way you can create a very healthy daily habit and it doesn't need to be more than five minutes a day and i think that's the beauty of the tea break you know where you have five minutes or you know you have three tea breaks maybe 10 minutes a day where you strip it back and the rejuvenating power that has once you settle into your senses forget everything else and really go after that, but also creating positive emotional responses, you know, through smell, but then also through the taste. And you're obviously doing exactly what I was speaking about earlier. You're 100% focusing on something. So everything else outside of that falls away naturally. And that really grounds you, you know. So that five minute tea break is perfect on a stressful day in the morning but even at work you know yeah. i don't know how other people will look at you if you close your eyes and you know but i think if you're able to bring that even into a work setting um it's very helpful because, because you were doing these packs and, and you probably still do them with companies where you supply them with your teas because again 
companies are evolving a lot, I think, in the last few years with sustainability and corporate social responsibility and well-being and so on, that companies would buy a selection of teas from you and encourage staff to take time out to drink one of your teas, but just take, do exactly what you're saying there. Just focus on the tea, focus, be present in the moment. Very much got to do with the well-being in the workplace. Exactly. I mean, over COVID, it was, you know, a good part of what we did is where we had it as often call it staff connecting Mm. via Zoom. We had sent out the teas beforehand and then I guided, you know, staff through that experience. And I mean, generally as a feedback that I get, you know, and I've done it now with a lot of people is, wow, I've never experienced tea like that before, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And this is so weird because people probably listening to us were like, how are they just so excited about tea? But it's, if you're just used to drinking the normal tea that you would get in a big box of 100 tea bags in a supermarket, I mean, it's just so, so far removed from what we're talking about. And and that is the difference. You're combining it, obviously, with focusing on your sensory experience and stripping everything yeah. outside out of that, you know. So obviously it amplifies, you know, your experience. But for that, you do need a good tea, you know, because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, you would have a adverse physical or sensory reaction to that. So yeah, I, I think this is, and, and tea in general, obviously, is a healthy beverage, you know, but there are huge differences in quality. Yeah, because talk to me about the whole leaf. You do the whole leaf, which is far more beneficial than what is done, we'll say, with other tea bags, tea companies out there. Yeah, I mean, generally saying, you know, do look out for a high quality tea. And I mean, it is almost a completely different industry because if you're getting your standard paper tea bags, I mean, look at the size of the tea inside. It's called fannings or dust. And that's basically what it is. It's particle sizes that are below one millimeter. And the growing and harvesting is completely different because you have, you know, monocultures where machines drive over, you know, you get stems, everything cut into, you know, those little particles, whereas whole leaf tea needs to be hand-picked. That's why there is a quite a big price difference there. But on the quality level is antioxidants are basically in the leaf. Yeah, as soon as you damage the leaf surface, basically what happens is the juice comes out and it oxidizes. So every time you cut a leaf smaller and smaller, it oxidizes, which means you're losing antioxidants with every step. So we had our green tea, whole leaf tea, analyzed versus a standard supermarket variety. And I mean, we couldn't believe it. It it was... 27 times the antioxidant content and that would be an average you know so when people go oh your teas are a bit too premium add up 27 cups of costs of yeah your paper tea bag and then compare it to the costs but but i see i don't actually think the price is that big a difference 
especially with the difference you get in terms of quality. And I'm not a big fan of green tea, but I really like your green tea because it doesn't taste like most green teas out there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, apart from the quality difference, there's a huge taste difference. I mean, often on on trade shows, I ask people, so what do you like? And they say, ah... you know, black teas. And I say, oh, I have a green tea here. You Do you want to try mm. it? Ah, no, I don't like green tea. Yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, try this. They try it. They say, oh, that's lovely. Yeah. What is that? And I say, well, that's a green tea. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. So on the taste level, because you don't get the bitter and the astringent parts that you get with the chopped down material, it's a completely different experience. And Saying that with the price, yes, I mean, I do think the difference is not that great. But again, you know, there is definitely a price difference. I mean, going into the economics of it, like your standard tea bag tea is a commodity, whereas ours are speciality teas. Now, if you go to the growers, for example, Africa, India, The commodity tea, basically people find it absolutely hard to survive on because, you know, it is traded like a commodity and often the grower ends up with maybe a quarter of a percentage of a margin there. And if it, if, if, you know, then fuel prices go up, they actually make a loss. So... This part of the industry is on the on, on a downward spiral, you know, whereas and obviously you see it with coffee as well. The premiumization of coffee and tea is where it's happening at the moment. You know, you have more care taken in in the growth in, in the, let's say, terroir of specific teas or coffees in that sense as well, where, you know, you're creating a uniqueness that is generally not the case with commodity teas. And when we source our teas, you know, because they are premium, they're often smaller tea plantations, you know, we are paying a price that actually makes a living for often the smaller families, you know, that are running those. I'm not a huge fan of fair trade because I made my experiences there. I mean, generally the farmer only gets 3% extra there and not all of the fair trade companies, but with some of them at the end of the day, because they have to fly in the auditor and uh, so on, kind of our Indian suppliers generally say, look, we're not making anything on the fair trade and it has become a bit of a marketing you know someone is making money but not the farmers unfortunately yeah and is it true then that there's plastic in some tea bags yeah i mean this obviously in the past seemed to have never been picked up but even your paper tea bags have up to 30 percent plastics in it to make it, you know, stable in hot water. And you're putting that, yeah, you're putting that in hot water then. So obviously, yeah, it breaks correct. free. I mean, we've, st- we were one of the first actually that had created a fully biodegradable tea bag, which is made from cornstarch, PLA. But at the time, I remember we had even created our envelope for our kind of hotel and food service servings 
fully biodegradable. And at the time, and that was over 12 years ago, we were one of the first, like all the others, were either plastics or foil, aluminium. Our customers were saying, why? Why would I pay a cent extra for this, you know? And we were like, because it's the right thing to do, you mm. know, in terms of waste and in terms of our own philosophy. So obviously now it has come back 360, you know, where that is almost a requirement. But I mean, over the years, it was interesting to see that, you know, 15 years ago wasn't a problem at all. And I mean, similarly to organic, like if something becomes full sense commercial some of the things are watered down mm. but as well i think it is a good thing but you know with organic it adds a hell of a lot of work for us on the paper front on the quality control on the kind of import side it is heavily heavily regulated and just as a small example like we beforehand had very small unique teas where we only would for example import 30 40 kilo at a time of a quite unique tea but that has become impossible as organic because each one of those charges or batches would have to be individually tested on pesticides so that would each time add about two and a half thousand euro cost to it and that again you know favors big bulk imports you know so we on those small batches you know we decided for now that we can't import them which is a shame mm. you know because it is a uniqueness in it but it doesn't favor the small indiv individual and it adds too much cost isn't it sad how to push forward with organic produce is a bigger battle because the support isn't there. Now, un it's understandable that it's a stringent process and, you know, the boxes have to be ticked to make sure it is authentic and organic. But at the same time, the support, it's a m much more of a difficult process, <laughs> probably from lack of support, I would say. Yes and no. I think there is support there. And I know that you have to standardize certain things to, you know, make it work. But unfortunately, it does, you know, make it almost impossible to, let's say, import small amounts from outside the EU because of the bureaucracy that is involved. And I mean, it's a difficult topic because how do you police it, you know, otherwise? So I, I'm still 100% supporting organic and all our products are certified organic. And, you know, we had to then make that decision. Okay, we just can't do those smaller batches, which is a shame. But yeah, overall, I do think organic. Now, kind of thinking about, you know, my own passions, I'm, I'm a big believer in permaculture. It basically is a system that was created in Australia because of their weather conditions and poor soil structure, they had to look at, you know, how can we create 
a naturally stable system, you know. So permaculture basically looks at natural ecosystem and mimics them, but exchanges each part maybe with a food plant. So each element, like in nature, like in if you look at the rainforest, you know, one part supports the other. And the idea is that it becomes a stable system. I mean, our modern agriculture is anything but a stable system if you think about you know we have so many inputs yeah from machinery to pesticides fertilizers and then yes the easy part is you know driving over with a big combine harvester but the problem is that you're exposing soil degrading soil and i mean we've lost upwards of 30 percent of our world's topsoil you know this is a problem going forward and we need to find sustainable means of growing food. And often I have that discussion with scientists or, you know, who say, oh, but you can't feed the world with permaculture, you know, because the harvesting part would be too time intense and so on and so on. But I'm saying this is the wrong argument because we cannot feed the world's population with our current agricultural system because our soil is what we need to be looking after. In another 50 years, we have another 30% gone and then we do not have the soil to grow anymore. So the argument has to be very different looking at it. So yeah, I'm a big fan of when we talk about sustainability, that's a much abused word mm. where, I mean, I see so many products where they change one component, you know, out of 10, the other nine are still, you know, highly polluting. But as soon as they changed one element, they say, oh, we are sustain." you know, we've integrated yeah. sustainability, embraced sustainability, sustainability by root of the word means, you know, it needs to be a 360 process, you know. Like, I was reading Unilever's sustainability charter, and in the fifth sentence, it says, no matter if we use conventional raw material or GM crops, we source them sustainably. <laughs> yeah, and you go like, you cannot have the word sustainable and GM crops in the one sentence, you know, pesticide use, fertilizer use, you know, the one seed generation technology where the farmer is completely dependent, you know, you're reducing biodiversity. So sustainability has to be much wider. And I'm interested to see if we will get a system that takes it as a whole system approach, you know, because obviously you have that for organics, but for sustainability, anything goes at the moment, yeah. you know. So I think we have to focus on the specifics. But, you know, sustainability means that the next generation is still able to do the same thing without encountering the pollution or the reduction of biodiversity that we're creating. And I think we have to change our ways, but in a way, as we said earlier, where we have to reconnect with certain natural rhythms. Mm -hmm. I think 
those always give you a guidance point of, you know, what is necessary because everyone says, oh, we will find the technology eventually that solves all our problems. And I don't think that will be the case. I think it is more of an internal change that has to be necessary, you know, for us to live again with nature and not against it and yeah. then find the technology to, you know, clear up our, clean up our pollution. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's... um trying to find the cure after the damage has been done. How did you take Solaris T from starting off in a dorm to global sales? Yeah, it took longer than <laughs> what I thought it would. But I mean, our look, our our first ambition was to make a living from it. Okay. And that wasn't easy because, I mean, we practiced as medical herbalists, i.e. so clients, you know, while building the brand and the blends and refined those ones. So our goal, first of all, was to make a living, which it didn't start out like this. And we grew organically, you know, I think a lot of companies are different in that way that they would have investor backing or, you know, we didn't have that. So we had to make it work. And the first couple of years were pretty difficult. I, I think I would have earned more money by being on the dole in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, everything from the regulation to the running was difficult at the beginning because, I mean, I remember that's a, that's a funny story. We kind of, when we moved to Galway, we uh, started in our converted attic and um, I remember the first health control that we got, you know, uh, doorbell rings and the HSE stands in front. She has a short skirt and high heels and she said, oh, I think I'm wrong here. I'm looking for this company. I said, yeah, you're right here. <laughs> I walk her up and then I bring the attic ladder down. <laughs> she looks at me and she's like, you're not expecting me to climb up there, are you? You know, yeah. and she actually didn't. She <laughs> kind of just got eye level to the floor. She said, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you know, but everything is geared up towards volume, you yeah. know. So when you're starting out, it is difficult. But, you know, there are points when you're pushing uphill and you're thinking, is that worth it? You know, and I mean, that's a difficult decision to make. When is it? When is enough enough? You know, when do you let it go or, you know, do you push further? But I think part of it was that we saw or we got the consumer feedback, you know, that we stayed with it. And I mean, as you can see, my my university and my interests were as far away from business topics yeah. as can be. Yeah. So in the beginning years, I kind of learned because I needed to, but also because I was passionate about what I was doing. And certain things then came much easier than compared to if I would speak someone who had studied business or, you know, they would come out with stuff where I was thinking, 
that's bullshit. You know, mm. it doesn't work on the ground. And I mean, we had to think fast. We had to, if something didn't work, you have to, you know, let it go fairly quickly. So it works on a much shorter improvised circle. Um, so we did that. Um, bit by bit, we were growing. We won loads of awards. And do you think that's important in business, applying for awards and winning awards? Because I know some businesses are gung-ho. They're, anytime there's an opportunity to win an award, they're, they're submitting and they feel like it's it's great PR. And if they win the award, they ride the wave of that and so on. And others then, it's it's like a Marmite effect. You know, they they hear award and they run the opposite way. It is important, specifically at the beginning, I would say, A, in terms of your view of yourself, you know, because often when you start out, you know, you're like, oh, it's me here and everyone else out there. And it gives you confidence. And I think that's a big driver then, again, where you kind of, for example, I mean, we had in our early years then we we were invited for a contract with Harrods, you know, so I was highly excited. I brought mm. 10 of my blends and I, I was traveling up there and it was like a hotel room with a setup and I went in there and there were two guys in there and I walk in there, one was in white clothes and I'm like, oh, are you the chef in Harrods? And he's like, no, I'm the master tea blender of Witters of Chelsea, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's who I'm competing with, you know, and he said, oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not competing against you today, I'm, uh, Harrods kind of hired me here to choose the 10 world's best teas, you know, so I will be tasting yours as well, and I said, okay, so obviously did that, you know, traveled back home, and then I got the phone call the day after and he says, Jörg, you know, three out of the 10 best teas were from you. Wow. And I was like, that's the master tea blend yeah, of yeah, Withers yeah. of Chelsea. Great. You know, and that is, you know, a recognition that you often don't see in yourself mm. or believe. So it, it does create, you know, that was and also the knowledge that you are good in what you're doing you know and then the outside obviously you need to build the other soft skills around that as well and i think as a business person you know emotional intelligence and let's say your ability to know yourself you know is pretty important and obviously in our power of seven group we we touch that quite a bit you know where that ability to self-reflect, mm. you know, creates opportunities and possibilities that you would not have. But coming back to the awards, I think, yes, they're worth it. Obviously, there comes a point, if it's the 20th gold medal that you win, yeah. you know, it doesn't have the same impact. But again, if you're going for a new market or a new geographical area what what not you know it is always good because it's an outside recognition that tells a story of that you are good and i mean some of the awards 
I must say, I don't take too serious because, you know, there are certain industry figures always the same who sit in there and they pretty much already know who they're choosing, yeah. you know, but good award schemes avoid that where it's... It's not a popularity contest. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's blind tasted. It yeah. is, you know, chosen where they don't know who enters, who's the brand, you know. So you got to the stage where you wanted to make a living from it. What was the next step then? The next step was probably where we had nationwide distribution, where we got into the first bigger wholesaler that was distributing to fine food stores and health food stores. And again, we were still working from home. And at that point, you know, our sitting room, we couldn't open the doors anymore. The packaging was, you know, piled literally in there. (laughs) And then there Arctic Lorry comes into the estate. He's like, I can't turn the Arctic Lorry around. I will never, ever come back here again. You know, so then we had to deliver our pallets then to, you know, another one of their customers. At the beginning, it was one of those cabs where you could shove in a whole pallet and, you know, so funny stories uh, at around, you know, that that period of time where we were, I would say, almost sitting between two chairs. So then at one point we said, okay, now we have to take the leap, take out warehousing and, you know. It's a big move, isn't it? It is, yeah, because obviously it's a risk, but it did work. Again, then we grew organically, step by step. We had our first export successes there. And I realized, actually, we don't have to hide from anyone. We are actually, in terms of our price value level, one of the best in Europe, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's when I realized, okay, we can grow this. Obviously, the question is, do you grow it fast, i.e., you know, giving off equity and bringing investors in or do you do it yourself you know and for us that's never an easy you know decision to take because i saw other tea companies you know growing with investor backing i mean they probably given off roughly 50 percent of their ownership and they grew much faster but for us it was okay you know i i always kind of looked at what do we want as well with within our internal culture within Solaris? So I knew that once you give that away, you know, there's outside control coming in. And not saying, I mean, there might be a point where that is for us the way to go. But at the time, we decided to go it alone. And yeah, I mean, we kind of, it took its time, you know, to get to a point. And I mean, I think at the moment we're again between two chairs of really being a brand. And I think we are well recognized within the, call it, beverage industry here in Ireland. But where we're starting within Europe, certain countries to represent that. And that will be a big jump. I mean, we're just at the moment in with a trial contract in America. I mean, they're a kind of Whole Foods equivalent with about 400 stores. So it should yeah. should be interesting, but very complex in terms of once you enter the US, it's, you know. Yeah, because I was wondering, 
are there more challenges going into different territories? Because we, I, I don't know, it might be the Department of Agriculture that controls certain products coming in here, whereas it's probably the FDA in America or something like that. You know, is, is, is there more bureaucracy? Is there more paperwork? Is there more headaches? Well, look, <laughs> look at Brexit, you know, yes. I mean, like, as soon as you have more bureaucracy, you know, it makes it more difficult. But every country, you need to start almost from scratch in terms of how people think, you know, what their preferences are, how you approach it. I mean, I'm German, obviously, so we're quite direct, you know, so that was a culture shock here in, in Ireland, mm. you know, even though someone didn't want our tea, you know, they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, very nice tea, I give you a call, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. and you are on the phone 20 <laughs> times until you realize, oh, yeah, maybe, but yeah, every country has its own challenges. You know, I mean, Germany, for example, is highly competitive on the herbal stroke, you know, tea market. And people generally go for cheaper options, you know, even in, in food service. So it is quite hard to find your matches. Mm -hmm. um, and often in new countries, you need a superb partner to work with i mean yeah. that is always key and i mean i see it again now in america you need someone but you know how the americans are if you're working with a agent they're like uh, five grand a month you know standing charge and it's kind of it piles costs pile mm. up very quickly so finding unique ways of getting in is a challenge but i think you know that's what you need to do as a small company, you know, and as a small company, you're almost reinventing ways of doing. And I'm a big fan of each member of the team almost being a mini entrepreneur. Mm. I think when we are hiring, you know, I look out for that, for that willingness to bring in their own skill set, motivation, but the ability as well to, you know, improvise because small company owners can't micromanage i no. think that's a given yeah so it needs that skill set on every level within the team to make it work and i think you know at the moment we are very fortunate that we have a superb team and it's an absolute joy to work with i mean i would put my hand in for each one it's funny because I've said it a lot lately that here at GK Media, we have a great team. And I often hear, you know, CEOs saying, I, I'm so lucky I, I have such a great team. And you're like, you're only saying that because they're, they're probably going to listen back and hear this. But when you actually do have a really good team, maybe from having an experience of having a, an okay team, <laughs> but when you have a great team, it's like, wow, like it makes such a difference. And they become stakeholders of their positions within the company. And it gives you, I suppose, that encouragement and confidence as well to go further and take those leaps and so on. That trust, mm. you know, that you have where you don't need to put your effort into control, Yeah, yeah. you know, is, and obviously people feel it, you know, if you put trust in them. And I think that empowers them as well and brings completely different results than if you're needing to put or wanting to put that control in. You know, obviously there are certain areas, you know, which are a tight rope yeah. balance. But I mean, overall, 
I don't think we would would be here, you know, with without a team like that. So, I mean, even your own energy levels coming into work and bouncing off each other yeah, yeah. and when it is joyful and encouraging it is a difference of day and night than if you battle problems non-stop and you're still battling problems but if you do it together yeah it's a very different situation than because being an owner or CEO or, you know, often can be a very lonely place where you feel, look, I don't have the energy to do this on top. You know, if mm -hmm. two co-workers fall out or one is bullying the other where, you know, it it is an awful situation to yeah. come in. So, yeah, I, I think in terms of I'm a big believer that obviously those areas and goals where you put your awareness and focus on is the ones that will flourish long term. It is as simple as that. Does it get scarier trying to scale when you know, looking back now, the amount of years it's taken to where you've gotten today, the amount of effort, sacrifice and so on, that knowing when you make another leap that, yeah, it'd be, it's great if it's successful, but if it's not, it could literally wipe out the past 15, 20 years of hard work. Yeah, we were at that situation about four years ago where for six months I didn't know would we still have a business tomorrow. And I mean, that was a very scary time. I couldn't sleep, you know, my nervous system was frayed almost to a level i i think looking back i must have had a nervous breakdown there and then obviously it manifested in a health scare for me as well but what i learned from it is it it sorted itself out well i mean we sorted it out in mm. in in a way but the moment when you let go is when it becomes better yeah, it is that moment where you're not trying to hang on to what you've built and that fear then goes out of the window where you accept it and you say, this is it, you know, again, I don't have any influence over the outcome of this and it might be shite mm. if it happens, but I deal with it if we get to that point. And in that time, my wife and my kids were such a fantastic support and I don't think I would have made it in that time. But I do think you need, if you're in a situation like that, you need to have a support network where you don't, on top of what is happening, feel isolated. Yeah, I think that's very important. And sure, I'd say there are scary decisions to make going forward. But again, I do trust in my abilities or our abilities as such to be able to come out the other way. I mean, look at what happened through COVID. Everyone had to almost reinvent themselves yeah, to a certain yeah. degree. And what prevented people from doing it efficiently, I think, or generally, is 
that fear of not making it. And being an entrepreneur, you've done it already. And at the beginning stage, it is that trialing out, if it doesn't work, move on, do, yeah. you know. So applying that, I think in that sense, for for smaller business, COVID showed, you know, do you have the ability to adapt at a quite fast yeah. level? I mean, we had a big part of our customer is the at work category, like the Googles and the Apples and, you know, the catering part and that overnight dropped to zero. So again, people can get, you know, your teas, like for instance, in places like Insomnia, you're supplying hotels and overnight they're all closed. The hotel part, yeah, dropped to zero and the at work category as well. I mean, coffee shops actually fared quite well. Okay. Specifically, the ones in petrol stations, you know, because people still would go. That was the one treat people would still go for yeah. or were allowed to yeah. go for. So on in that sector, we did feel it, but maybe not as much as the others. And I mean, COVID gave us the time to then work on the creative parts like the tea experience because we had always planned to do it, but often you say, ah, I'm too busy yeah, to course. to do X, Y, and Z. So like with many people, I'd say it gave us a chance, but it it was a difficult time for us as well. But what's good is be, once things got quiet, which wasn't in your control, but things got quiet, you didn't just stand still or you didn't put your head in the sand. You tried other things. And I think that's where certain businesses out there really failed during COVID that they didn't have that entrepreneurial ambition anymore and try and say okay I can't do what I've been doing for the last 20 years but I'm going to try something else at least just you know some of them just froze and did nothing yeah and I think it's so important that because you're always going to have those cycles you'll have the great times and you'll have the bad times it's part of life it's part of business but, you know, when something happens like that and what you've been doing and what has always been working doesn't work right now, you need to try and change it up, even just for sanity reasons. And it is interesting as a as a entrepreneur, we started 2004, but then it was still part-time. 2008, we formed it as a company. And while the tiger years were zooming past us with you know <laughs> yeah people lavishly spending you know as i said earlier i probably took a wage out that was less than being on social welfare you know so i'm not shying away from challenges like that and i think that mindset you know it might be difficult for a time but in my view, it certainly is worth it from a whole different range of perspective. It it was it is quite gratifying to bring an idea into the world, you know, that you have. And sure, you have 
a lot of ups and downs. You know, you don't have that stability often that you maybe have in yeah. a nine to five job. You probably have more responsibility overall. I don't know. Maybe not, you know, but that flexibility, and I always say, and I mentioned it earlier, going back to my gymnastic years, you know, it's, it was the same, you know, you can't have rosy times nonstop. Mm. So what are you doing then with the times where it's heavy going? And I think those difficult moments and this, the decisions you make in those moments are the crucial ones where you can almost judge the quality of a company with or your own, you know, strength and weaknesses as well yeah, you yeah. know i mean there are, i'd say personal traits in myself and we all have those ones but i catch myself often you know becoming cynical or you know they're the three ones one is fear one is cynicism and the other one is the complaining part yeah <laughs> yeah and you often kind of slide into these, but if you actually go through how they make you feel, and cynicism is probably the one that is socially, you know, quite accepted, yeah, you know, yeah. because it's almost, yes, you can bring humor into it, but if you feel what it does with your mind is you're disconnecting, you're not believing in it anymore, um, no matter what it is, and it closes your heart space you know that's yeah. what cynicism does you know it makes you colder towards your environment and the world and fear kind of pretty much does the same on a whole body level you know where your mind shuts down so i think if you're finding ways of working with these experiences um and whatever that is for you for me, it's nature. For me, it's, you know, finding support with people that are close and obviously certain techniques, be it, you know, breathing exercises, cold water, exposure. I think those are very important. Those are the important moments of, you know, how you're, call it, how you personally develop, but also how your company develops. And obviously the team around you, will carry that as well yeah it's kind of fight or flight really isn't it yeah i mean i have a lot to say there in terms of obviously having go gone through herbal and medical training you know you're you have two types of nervous system one is your sympathetic which is your fight and flight and it, this is physiologically you know blood goes into your brain and muscles but none into your digestive system and in your regenerative body physiology. So you're literally outward facing all the time and fight and flight really tires you out both mentally, spiritually and physiologically. And often that's why we have that rhythm of day, night, that ability to truly recuperate. And that's when you're parasympathetic nervous system kicks in so then all the blood goes into your digestive organs into your functions that repair your body as well so 
settling into some methods of that allow you to recuperate yourself and you know that feeling of truly being at ease is really important and sometimes that's very difficult you know when something super stressful happens to you and i re realized it with that instance that i had lost the ability to move from my sympathetic nervous system is what just going going firing you know and i was exhausted at the same time but the ability to drop back into your parasympathetic and to recuperate is i think if you're an entrepreneur is is key to keep it going long term otherwise you will burn out yeah because there's a lot of stresses yeah days <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about a good story and your partnership with Dunn Stores, because I think, I think this is really cool. And I mean, you've spoken before about working with them recently and just the, the positive experience and that strong relationship. And I mean, you've worked with other supermarkets and let's just say that the one with Dunn's has been quite positive. So tell us about you know, striking up a partnership with Dunn's and how has it been positive? Well, it was the first time really where I would say the management structure of the supermarket was actually interested, fully interested in what we do and what differentiates ourselves. I, I would say also listening to ourselves at a level you know you have the different levels of listening and yeah. you know when someone kind of factually listens to you but they're not interested really and they're already forming kind of a point where they say yeah but the price point needs to be or you know yeah. so I, it was interesting and maybe covid helped with that because it was our first meeting after covid so they took literally a whole day out to visit us and what surprised me was the depth of listening when we went through the tea experience where we had you know 15 teas made up and told our story and what makes us unique so that was a positive experience that i had not experienced before where i i think you know he went away quite stimulated and i went away saying mm, that was interesting. So it developed, it carried on developing on that level, you know. Again, there's a certain amount of trust that needs to be built, yeah. you know, but also equally on both sides, because obviously supermarkets don't and in the past haven't treated their suppliers well. So let's just put it in context there for a minute what you've said. There's stories out there where a supermarket would do a deal of two for one on a product. But it's not the supermarket that makes the loss by doing the two for one. It's actually the supplier of the good. So the supermarket might say, oh, we're going to do a two for one on your product this week, but you're going to pay for it. Well, that's correct. And it even got to a point where not just one, but several supermarkets would say, look, this customer now has two. So we are not getting the profit on the second point. So you as the supplier pay us the profit margin 
of the second on top of giving the second product for free. Wow. So that was at a wow. level of, you know. That's crazy. And especially if you're a small company. Yeah, as a small company, that makes it the more difficult but easier. Because you probably think you've made it by getting into the supermarket rather than yes you've actually no. taken out a mortgage. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, we always understood, and this is probably the benefit of being a small company, that if it wouldn't work for us, we wouldn't do it because, as you said, it is make or break. So, you know, often the problem was with medium-sized companies where long-term, where the financial capabilities were there, but, you know, over time, obviously, the margin they made were eradicated. Mm. And businesses have gone under because of that, that they become, they put all their eggs in that one basket, in that one, we'll say, customer or client, that big client. And yeah, it's, and, and it can that, be dangerous. In that sense, because we grew organically over quite a period of time, we had developed different channels. Obviously, retail would be one, smaller one, but then we would have food service, mm. coffee shops, hotels, at work, and then obviously online yeah. directly. So we never put all our eggs in one basket. Yeah, multiple streams of income. And I mean, that that is almost a luxury but it build over time, you know. So I think this is something that is very important. And now we're looking to diversify even more where we are looking at tea training cool. to, let's say, the business to business, i.e. hotels, coffee shops. And in fact, we've written the botanicals module for the European Tea Association's first accredited tea training so wow. it's what was done with coffee on the barista side nothing yeah. like that existed for tea so we are now involved in spearheading that so i do think there's a need within industry to really have a good knowledge of the product that is being served and i mean it is there for coffee but generally, the barista has no idea about the tea or what comes with it. So I hope that the industry will go along with it. But I think the time has come where the knowledge piece needs to click in as well. Because even I've learned in recent times that there's certain teas that need a certain temperature of water. There's certain teas that they need to be immersed in water for a certain time. You know, the, you know, there, there's one that could be in for five minutes. There's another one that should be in for ten minutes. Am I impressing you here? Am I not? Very good. But you know, yeah, it's 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 as I say again, us dunking a tea and pouring boiling hot water on it and leaving it there for a few minutes and coming out throwing that tea bag in the sink and chunking in loads of milk. I mean, it's just the way when it's done properly, it's far removed from the way we've traditionally done it before. But we'll just go back to Dunn's. You're part now of the Simply Better brand. So you're in all done stores, supermarkets in Ireland? Yeah, we launched about three weeks ago. Yeah, overall, we were, before we went in, we were going, you know, will will we jeopardize our own customer or will we 
jeopardize our own end consumer. And a lot of thinking went in there, but we decided, you know, people that shop in Duns, you know, and who do like the Simply Better range will go for it and are typically slightly different, a, a different customer than people who would go straight for Solaris, you know. So we thought we now can offer the product to a wider customer group that normally wouldn't have chosen Sol the, the Solaris brand. And with the Simply Better, we've basically scaled back on the packaging part. Yeah. But the quality is still basically the same that goes into all our blends. So possibly it's the best of both worlds, let's say, for the type of customer mm. we would be speaking to. Yeah, so, I mean, it is exciting because I think it is also at a price point where it is appealing to a quite wide audience range and compared to the quality that's out there i think the price value that we could give with this cooperation is very good excellent no oh, it's fantastic congratulations on securing that what would you consider your biggest success to date i mean there are a lot and it's a good <laughs> yeah, well it's difficult to pinpoint you know the one story in the early days was probably where we went in with Harrods, you yeah. know, just on that level of understanding how good we actually are, you know, although that didn't materialize into a big commercial kind of sales contract, I think for our own confidence level, that was great. And I mean, in the kind of after a couple of years being able to secure contracts with the likes of Insomnia and, you know, hotel chains really gave us again the confidence in knowing that we can do it. And I almost would say I think we have a very high level of customer care and expertise in how we are doing things you know if i look at for example other trades where i have to call 10 times being the customer wanting something <laughs> i i can't understand yeah. you know where i must say with the duns corporation i think we were also super efficient we were preempting generally it was us who brought the points forward before they even became a problem. We were super efficient with it. So I'd say at that level, at that size of the contract, I'm quite proud that that we obviously a lot of time went in, eye for detail, and it's a fairly complex supply chain and production mm -hmm. as such, but we really did it well. And again, credit to the team, you know, who kind of, Again, preempted what was coming down. We're super prepared. Yeah, other other big points of the career, and 
it no, it isn't always this this is interesting it isn't always the big contracts that are your biggest wins yeah. you know sometimes they take such a long time to materialize that they don't feel like an immediate success Correct. yeah yep. So often it is very simple things like one example, I remember a trade show and consumer trade show we had, and that was a good almost 10 years ago in Dublin, where we had a 13-year-old girl come up to us and said, oh, you're doing the Jasmine Dragon Pearls. That's <laughs> wonderful. And you're like, wow, that's a generation yeah, that is taking tea serious. Yeah. Mm. So it is often moments like that mm. where you feel like, wow, we're moving into a time where what we actually do is at a level of where people are requiring, wanting, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, you know, appreciating it. Because I think when we started, we were ahead of our times and often people Yeah, because mostly you start a business because there's a demand exactly. out there, but you you foresaw the demand. I mean, if we would have done market research at the time when we started the company, we would not exist, <laughs> yeah? Because yeah. everyone would have told us, what, you know? premium tea what yeah. biodegradable this that the other ah no <laughs> people won't pay for that or you know won't be interested in that so yeah it it often is those personal moments where you really connect to either people that give you lovely wonderful feedback on your product or what you do or how you do it, you know. And I do think that we touch with our product people at a level that makes me proud, you know, where we want to promote wellness and where we want to give people a tool to look after themselves. And often those feedbacks, those stories that come out from that. Now, for example, kind just gave a workshop there last weekend and one person joined and she said, I'm drinking your Peppermint Delight for 16 years now. I was 12 when I started drinking wow. it and it really changed my life. And, you know, you're, and she said like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing a course with my icon of, you know, <laughs> Yeah. tea blenders and you know it's that experience where where you actually realize what difference you have made it's those personal moments in a company's history where i feel yes i'm doing the right thing yeah they're they're very gratifying and yes the commercial successes make you proud and i i think you know a big part of that is where you with with the successes that you have to celebrate them when they come because yeah again we are busy in our life and i even remember with done stores i'm like oh no time it came through it actually came through but oh yeah no so many other things and then as a team we stopped and we said, okay, let's celebrate 
Let's take a moment to celebrate these. And then it does sink in also very differently because our emotional body needs also time for it to sink in, you know. So I think best thing often that you can do for a team is make space for those moments. And that's not easy, but they are also gratifying when it's not only your success, but where you actually watch your team members being proud of where they work, but also that they have achieved this and they have contributed to a part where they make it their own. And that's a beautiful moment as well to see in other people, you know, that joy, that pride almost, you know, makes you cry or get more emotional than with your own self. Mm -hmm. You know, with your own self, you feel proud and, you know, it sinks in. But watching someone else go through that, you're like tearing up and you're like, ah. Excellent. Jörg, I could speak to you for hours, but unfortunately, poor Dylan has to edit this. <laughs> He'll kill me if I do that. But I was going to get into the, the benefits of the teas, but people can get that information as well if they go over to your website or follow you on social media. And you're always interacting with your audience online and doing up videos and posts and encouraging them to take a moment out in the day and so on. There's loads of great content, and I think it's important it's not about putting up it's not about the volume that you put up on social media but it's about the quality of the content you're putting up so if people want to purchase online they can go to your website which is solarisbotanicals.com or you can also type in solaristea.com yeah perfect and there's also a really cool thing as well where you can treat yourself to like a foot spa with tea leaves yeah, that, that was one of the more unusual products that we came up with because as medical herbalists, now I don't know if you've done a foot bath yourself, it sounds like, you know, a foot bath, but it is really powerful because you're absorbing all the minerals through your skin. It is super grounding. So... When we combined the two things, an organic Irish high-quality seaweed and some of our blends, physiologically, the action that you experience through the body is, is, is quite good and is actually surprising. When I did my first foot bath, I was like, wow. <laughs> I have to put that on my bucket list then. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> I had the wow after tasting the teas. So I might have it after the foot spa, who knows? <laughs> and I mean, I just want to add, obviously, what we're moving into as well at the moment is our courses. So if you are interested in specific things like foraging, I do about 10, I'd say, for per year. I mean, now until spring, not much is happening, but foraging then we do have our tea training courses for different levels of expertise. Then Khan is doing women-specific courses, all geared towards wellness and mental well-being as well, because this is 
at the end very important to us. And I do think this is also what differentiates ourselves from the bigger companies that we actually walk the talk, that we are authentic in terms of how we live and we want to share that part and also the knowledge that we've gathered up in the last 40 years or so. I didn't even get to talk to you about <laughs> your amazing gardens. Look, follow Solaris, I think, online and become part of the journey and definitely head over to the website solarisbotanicals.com. York, thank you for joining us in Gary Talks. Gary, it was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gary Talks. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did in producing it for you. As always, I ask, as it doesn't cost anything to listen to the podcast, that if you do find it insightful or helpful, that you do spread the word about it yourself. Maybe if you're on social media yourself or you can subscribe to our podcast or even leave a nice positive review. That would be super. Gary Talks is also on Instagram, LinkedIn and The Out Time on TikTok as well. So you can follow us there and please do engage with us on our social media channels because social media is all about two-way conversations. So if you're on LinkedIn, TikTok or Instagram, please get in touch. Let me know what you think of the podcast, if there's any areas that you would like us to cover on the podcast and so on. Finally, don't forget to join me this Friday for another short bonus episode of Business Bites where I will be talking about sacrifices. Until I talk to you then, take care. Bye-bye.